If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Second Peter, the second epistle of Peter. We're going to read out of chapter number one, and as I've already said this morning, uh, today is a special day when we get to choose the leadership for the church for the upcoming year. Now, at the end of the service, I'm going to read before we uh, do those nominations, we're going to go back to First Timothy chapter number three. And I'm going to read those qualifications of what it takes to be a leader, a deacon, uh, or a pastor of a church. And I'm going to ask you to apply what we learn here in the next few minutes as you make that decision. Now, what does all that mean? Well, you can sum it up like this. If you open up that chapter and you read that chapter and you have a name that you feel like the Lord has laid on your heart and you take that name and you apply it uh, with that chapter or lay that chapter on top of that name, then if we do what we're going to learn, uh, the Word of God will speak uh, in that and let us know if what we think lines up with the Word of God. Of course, I've told you uh, many times recently about uh, you know this book that I've been reading. That's 2,800 and some pages long. As a matter of fact, Shane's probably getting tired of it. Uh, but one of the things that I recently read in it was about a little old lady uh, who was brought before uh, the interrogators there in uh, Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union. And, of course, one of what they did, they would bring you in at night and they would interrogate you all night long. And then the next morning when the judge would come in, uh, they would ask you to sign a confession. Well, after that long night of interrogation, and you imagine all that went on, they were more than willing to confess the next morning when the judge came in. But there was this little old lady uh, who went before the interrogators and night after night they would interrogate her. Day after day she would refuse to sign a confession. And here's what she said finally. The judge said something like this. Old lady, when are you going to sign this confession of your guilt? And here's what she said. There's a God in heaven that I will answer to. And you will grow tired of the torture before I grow tired of serving Him. And that the day that we're living in church, when the whole world is trying to tell us to lay aside this book and stop using this book and go along with the culture and, and let the culture present to us what's right and what's wrong and who should lead us uh, and and give us our direction in life, we've got to stand up and say the world will grow tired of trying to convince us before we give up on the Word of God. I want to speak to you about that for just a few minutes today. Back a couple of years ago, you all know this journey that I've been on. Uh, went on a diet, lost 50, some 52, 53 pounds in about five or six months. And, uh I'm going to tell you, it's the hardest thing I ever did in my life. It's not easy. The older you get, the harder it gets. You ever been sitting at your house about 11, 11.30 at night, and all of a sudden that cupboard just starts calling from you in there saying, come get something out of here. And boy, I'm going to tell you what, it's like a pull on you want something out of that thing. But I want to tell you something. Jesus said some words that are very profound. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. And the word of God is bread. It's food for the soul of the, 
believer. It's light that shines into a dark place for those that do not believe that convicts and leads to the salvation of souls. Peter said as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word that by it we may grow with respect to our salvation. Peter said it's not only bread, it's milk. And the writer of Hebrews says it's also meat. It nourishes us, it guides us, it shines light. It's a pathway for us to follow. 1 Peter chapter number 1 beginning at verse number 12. Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet or necessary or good as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, my body, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we've opened up your word and read it. And Lord, if we didn't do anything else today, that's profitable. You said that it would not return unto you void, but would accomplish what you set it out to do. So God, I pray today that by the power of your spirit, the strength of your word, the truth of your testimony, that God, you'd convince, convict and lead the hearts of your people as we gather here today. And Lord, if there's one here that does not know Christ and the free pardon of sin, may they be convicted by your word, drawn to a place of repentance and faith in Christ. And God, may their life be changed forever, beginning here today. In your name we pray. Amen. The Word of God is critical. It's critical in our society today, our families today. It's not just another book, though that's what we're told, a book of tales and a book of legends. But I want to tell you something today. What I hold in my hands is the very Word of God. You've heard me say this before. I, I talked to a couple of people this week. They're going through the difficulties of life and tragedy is going to come in every life that's gathered here this morning. And sometimes it's great tragedy. Sometimes it's tragedy to the point that it breaks us and leaves us wondering what in the world is going on. And those people would always say something like this. I just love to hear something from God. And my response to them is always this. If you want to hear from God, take this blessed book, open this book, read this book, and you will hear a word from God. 
And that's something that all of us need. Don't expect to hear from God if you're not willing to open up the Word of God and read it. He's not going to speak. I say this, you've heard it. You want to hear God audibly? Read it aloud. And you're hearing God speak to you audibly. His words, His thoughts, His mind. And it's so important. In 2 Peter chapter 1, he talks about the Word. He talks about the importance of the Word. And Peter gives us four affirmations about the Word of God. You see, Peter knew that the time of his departure was at hand, like the Apostle Paul had said. He said, it's not going to be long and I'm going to be stepping off the scene and I want to tell you some things, some things to keep in mind. I want you to determine in your life that you're going to live by, act by, conduct yourself by the Word of God. Keep in mind that the faith of these believers rested on what they had been taught. And at this time, as Peter writes to them, they were under the gun. They were being persecuted. They were being scattered. And many were in there trying to say, don't listen to this. Don't uh, believe this. So Peter makes his argument with four affirmations concerning the Word of God. And I want to share those with you this morning. Number one, the Word of God is eternally proclaimed. Look what the Bible says here in verses 12 through 15. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always, remember that, always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet or good or profitable as long as I am in this body tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Knowing that shortly I must be, I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ Christ has showed me. You remember Jesus there after his resurrection, uh, there by the fire as Peter and the apostles were out there fishing, they came back to the fire. Jesus foretold, he predicted, he prophesied uh, how Peter and when Peter would die. And he understood that that time was getting ready to come to pass. And we know from history that it wasn't long after this, somewhere probably around 65 to 68 A.D., uh, Peter was crucified upside down, so this took place. In verse number 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. Peter had been ministering, he had been preaching to, he had been pastoring to the people there in Asia Minor, Minor, that's who he was writing to, and he cared about these people, and he, because he cared about these people, he wanted them to have something after he was gone. Well, he knew he was getting ready to step off the scene, so he said, hey, I'm going to be diligent that after my time comes, after my departure, that you may be able to call these things uh, to mind. So he wanted them to remember what had taken place. Well, the Bible says in First Peter chapter 1, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass, but the grass withers and the flower fades away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And Peter understood that, hey, I'm going to step off the scene, but this word of God is still going to be with you. And people are going to come. Things are going to come. Institutions are going to come. And they're all going to go. But listen, the word of God is going to be with you forever. Shortly, 
hundred or so years or a couple hundred after Peter's death, there was a Roman emperor named Diocletian that came to the throne uh, there in Rome. And he said, I'm going to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. So he made a decree. He wanted those Roman soldiers to go throughout all the Roman Empire and gather up all the Bibles. And he was willing to do anything to make it happen. He would go into people's homes and he would say, do you have a Bible in here? No, I do not. Well, they'd search the home. And if they found the Bible, they'd take that person and they'd put them on a stake and they'd put the Word of God under their feet. But not only that, they'd put their whole family uh, tied to that stake around them and they'd light the Word of God along with the wood and burn them and the Word of God at the stake. And I want to tell you something, when they go burning people at the stake, Word gets around pretty fast, does it not? But I'm going to tell you something, he... Uh, purposed in his heart that he was going to get rid of it, all the torture, all the terror that he brought about. Listen, this happened somewhere around 280 to 284 B.C., but by 315 B.C., there was another emperor, Diocletian, had faded away, and his name was Constantine, and Constantine was getting ready to go to battle, and it was a battle that he could not win on his own, and he went to sleep the night before the battle thinking that he was going to get whooped and his army was going to get whooped the next morning. And he had a dream. And what was that dream? It was a cross. And written above that cross that said, By this conquer. And what did he do? He got his whole army up. He had crosses thrown on them. He accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior that night and had crosses put on the, all the uniforms of the soldiers. And they went out and they won the battle the next day. And within a week of that happening, he had declared Christianity to be legal in the Roman Empire. You see, Diocletian had stepped off the scene and he was no more. But the Word of God was still getting. And he wanted people to be able to have a copy of the Word of God. And his advisor said something like this. Well, Diocletian's done destroyed all the copies of the Word of God. And so Constantine put out an edict in the Roman Empire. He said, whoever brings me a copy of the Word of God will be richly rewarded. And within just a couple of days, 50 copies of the Word of God showed up on his door. You see, heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of God endures forever. It is eternally proclaimed. Not only after that, you had the Catholic Church rise. Oh, the Catholic Church not good in our day to talk about that. We're supposed to be so tolerant. Probably the most evil institution in the history of the world, the Catholic Church. Why? Because what Constantine had started back there in 300 AD, they tried their best to reverse. They got the Word of God out of the hands of the common man. And they said only the priests can read and understand and preach the Word of God. You just listen to them and uh, they'll tell you what the Word of God says and, and you believe what they tell you. Well, it wasn't before long they're selling indulgence. They're in, uh, taking part in all the wickedness you could possibly, the human mind could think of. I want to tell you something this morning. Don't you listen to Keith Rose and what he says. You compare anything and everything I say to the Word of God. And if I say something that contradicts this book, you get Get rid of me and you shut me up because Keith Rose will pass off the scene but the word of God will endure forever. They kept the hand, the word of God out of the hands of the common people for uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years but there was a man born by the name of Wycliffe and he wanted to see people read and understand the word of God so he got a copy of that word and under punishment of death if he was caught he copied that thing into the English language. Then Martin Luther. 
read the Word of God one day and it said, The just shall live by faith, not by the church, not by the teachings of the priest, but the just shall live by faith. And he posted that 95 theses there on the door of the uh, bishop house there in Wittenberg, Germany. And he said, these are the problems I've got with the Catholic church. And in that and through that, the Protestant church was born. Why? Because heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God endures forever. Well, we've had problems since then. There was a man by the name of Voltaire, a French philosopher way back in the 18th century, we're talking about the 1700s, that said science is going to lead men to a place where they'll no longer have a need for God and within a hundred years from my birth there'll be no copy of the Word of God that's looked on anything more than Aesop's fables. Well, I want to tell you something, Voltaire's passed off the scene, but God's Word's still leading and guiding and bringing men, women, boys and girls to a place of salvation. Well, Friedrich Nietzsche, come on the scene in the late 1800s. You know it. They wrote a little corny Christian movie about it called God is Dead. Well, that's not all Friedrich Nietzsche said. In 1884, with the Enlightenment had taken place, the sovereignty of man uh, had reached or was reaching its peak. The United States of America had been formed and Friedrich Nietzsche made this. Uh, and I'm going to quote him this morning because you've never heard the full quote. You only hear God is dead. Listen to what he said. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? Let me paraphrase that for you. Friedrich Nietzsche, that great German philosopher, said God is dead and we have killed him. And there ain't going to be enough blood, uh, water in all the world to wash away the blood. And in 1890, he predicted that the 20th century would be the bloodiest century in the history of the world. And I want to tell you what, within 20 years, you had Lenin rising up in Soviet Union where a hundred million died. Listen, you had uh, Adolf Hitler rise in Germany uh, where uh, 60 million died. You had Castro, you had Mao, you had all of these people that rose up. Why? Because they would not let their people have a copy of the Word of God. And I cannot come up with objective truth on my own. If I try it, my reason will lead me to take what belongs to Jim and use it for myself. But listen, I want to say the Soviet Union is no more. Listen, all of these people that have died did not die in vain because why? The Word of God is still in my hand. And I don't care what Frederick Nietzsche said that God is dead. God is still alive and His Word will be eternally proclaimed. The harder they try to snuff out and stop the Word of God, the faster it grows. Maybe we need to experience some of it in the United States. The church is growing in North Korea today. The church is growing in China today. Matter of fact, the only place it seems that the church is dying is where we've gotten comfortable in our faith. And when we can read the Word of God, we don't. The Bible declares, Peter declares, that the Word of God is eternally proclaimed Peter said look people forget so I want you to write it down so you'll remember God said I'm going to protect it and keep it until the end of time 
And even if heaven and earth, and it will pass away, this is the rock that will stand through it all. And I want to tell you, if you want to make it through, we better stand on the rock. Not only is it eternally proclaimed, but it's divinely revealed. Look what he says in verses uh, 16 through 18. For ye have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were I witnesses of His majesty. Listen, these ain't myths that have been passed down. These are not just things that we've heard, but we saw, we touched, we witnessed. And then he goes on to describe it. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice uh, to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you look over in the early part of the Gospels, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And a voice came from heaven. And that's exactly what Peter's describing here. We were there. We saw that. We heard God's glorious voice from heaven say, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. We were eyewitnesses, Peter says. We're reminded that the disciples were all witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. How did He die? According to the Scriptures. And that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. What? According to the Scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, you know, his brother that didn't believe. And then all of the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. Paul wrote, we seen him. We touched him. We held him. He was seen over 500 at one time and most of them are alive today. Now do you know what that tells me? That tells me that they could have made a fool out of Paul if what he'd have been writing was a lie. Because all they'd have had to do was go to some of those 500 witnesses and put him on the spot. And if you think people won't put somebody on the spot when they catch them in a lie, you're not too thinking too clearly this morning. If they could have, they would have. But they couldn't because what Paul wrote was true. They were eyewitnesses of his glory. Personal testimonies. Look what it says. Not only did you see eyewitnesses as it's divinely revealed, but personal testimony. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice from him uh, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. A testimony, a personal testimony from God Almighty into their ears, down into their heart. But not only that, he goes on and says, This voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Of course, you know that Jesus came and His glory was veiled inside a human body. He was 100% God, but He was also 100% man. Why did that have to be? Well, I think it's something like this. If we'd have seen God's glory as Jesus, then nobody would have lived through it. Moses had to hide his face from Him. And it still affected him for the rest of his life. But they saw Jesus go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what Peter's writing about here. And He was transfigured. They saw Him in all of His glory. 
So not only is it eternally proclaimed, but it's publicly declared. I want to tell you something, church. It's still being publicly declared today. Every believer should be a witness. We've seen the hand of God. But not only that, I want you to see how it is publicly declared this morning. Look what Peter says in verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place under the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. A more sure word of prophecy. If we want to witness to a person or convince someone of the truth, our personal testimony is always a good place to start. Ruth Van Ruken early in the 20th century wrote, our human reasoning alone isn't enough to discern truth from error. The best protection against deception is to know God's revealed truth. It's a sure word and it's a shining light. Look what it says there. As unto a light that shineth in a dark place under the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. So it's a sure word. It's publicly declared. It's a shining light. And my friends, as we gather here this morning all over the world, people are letting their experience guide them in the choices that they make. Churches are doing that this morning. They're doing it all over our nation. And they're not looking at the Word and saying, I'm going to let this book define what I see in the culture, not let the culture define to me what I see in this book. And Peter said, look, we've got a, sure, a more sure word of prophecy, even more than the man of transfiguration, even more than God's voice from heaven. Go back over there, if you will, just in your mind. You don't have to turn there to Genesis chapter 3. Hopefully you know this. Ain't that right, Brother Jim? We've been in Genesis now for over four years. In Genesis 3, God had created Adam and God created Eve and Satan comes into the garden and God said, you can do anything you want, but there's one thing you ain't supposed to do. Does anybody know what that was? Anybody? Go, go ahead. What was it? He couldn't eat from the tree the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Amen? Amen? Now, Satan comes to him and he's going to tempt them. Now, how do you think that Satan did it? He didn't. He said, what did God say to you? What did God tell you? So she said, God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Listen to Satan's tactic. He ain't changed. Did God really say? So when these difficult issues come up in our culture today, and all of our experiences screaming at us, hey, this right here's got to be right. And we open up the Word and what God's Word says contradicts what our experience and what our eyes and even what our heart says. Satan is whispering into people's hearts, did God really say? Like Adam and Eve, oftentimes we listen to what Satan says. I want to tell you something this morning, church. Everything that's in me may scream, this ain't right, this ain't right. This is right, this is right. But if it contradicts this book, let God be truth and me be a liar. It's going to stand. And if we're going to stand on truth, we've got to take this word and publicly declare it 
authoritatively, eternally, what thus saith the Lord. What the Bible says is reliable and true. It's an ark that will take us through the floods of life. Listen to this. Experiences are fine. They help us to grow. But our experiences must be confirmed in the Word, conformed to the Word, and controlled by the Word. We've got to find it in the Word. The Word of God is our yardstick to decide. Now, people say, well, you're not supposed to judge. I'm going to hurry up and I'll be done. You're not supposed to judge. But if I stand up here today, right, and I say, okay, it's 22 and a half feet from me to Jim Fowler sitting there in his pew. Well, that's a judgment. I might be pretty close. I might be way off. But from my experience, 22 and a half feet. But if I take out a ruler and I spread that thing out and it says 22 feet 6 inches, it's no longer a judgment. It's objective truth. Don't, don't let people tell you that when we open up the Word of God, we're passing judgment. When the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill, then when somebody kills, they're a murderer. Thou shalt not steal, somebody steals, they're a thief. That's not judging. That's objective truth according to the Word of God. It's our yardstick. We can't let the culture define for us what's judgment and what's not. I'm going to close with this. It's spiritually inspired. I'm just going to read it. Peter goes on to say in verses 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Picture a ship with a sail and the wind blowing that ship. God used people to write it. You can see their personalities, their experiences, but the whole time the breath of God was blowing them wherever He wanted them to go. And we get the words of this blessed book. A more sure word of prophecy. What's that really mean? Jesus said something like this. There was a man died and he went, the Bible says, to hell and he lifted up his eyes. And he said to Abraham, send my brothers or send Lazarus to tell my brothers so that they won't come to this awful place. Abraham said to him, they wouldn't believe even if somebody raised from the dead. Y'all know my experience. Just a couple of months ago, I literally saw someone raised from the dead. I saw it. I was there and took part of it. Now, he wasn't completely, but they was pretty close, and instantly they was healed. I saw that. But I want to tell you something. Even though I saw that with my own eyes, and I felt it, and I touched it, if it contradicted the Word of God, then the Word of God is the sure word of prophecy, and I'm being deceived by somebody. You may say, God told me, the Lord led me, but I'm going to tell you what, if it contradicts this book, God wasn't in it. It was that angel of light that was leading you into a place that you should not go. The Bible's a more sure word of prophecy, the very Word of God. Let us treasure it by reading it and sharing it with others, as did Peter and the other apostles. The apostles. Now, how does that apply to choosing a deacon? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, here's what the qualifications are for a deacon are. I'm going to ask you to turn there now, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. 
I normally read out of the King James, but I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I think it captures the meaning of what Paul's writing to young Timothy here. In 1 Timothy chapter number 3, here's what he writes. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? A church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so they will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. Now, here's the qualifications for a deacon. Four key words there. In the same way. What's he saying there? What's Paul saying to Timothy there? He's saying... Everything that I just wrote about a pastor should also be applied to a deacon in the same way. Deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife. He must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with, with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. Peter said we had a more sure word prophecy as you nominate deacons this morning church I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open lay that ballot on top of that and say does this name that's come to me line up with what I read in this book if not then don't write it down God's word leads God's word guides his word's truth but I want to tell you something else as we stand this morning The Bible also tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, if God's Word is true, what's that tell me? It says that it tells me that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the Bible also says that God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were sinners. So we know we're sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But while we were still sinners, God demonstrated His love toward us and died on the cross in our place as a sacrifice, as an atonement. You know, that's something we just don't think about much in our world today. That beautiful word, sacrifice. It means you give up something now for something better later. You stop and think about that. God gave up His Son now to have you in heaven with Him forever later. <laughs> wow. That's how much God loves you this morning. So he's offering that salvation as a gift. He said, if we'll call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. If you're here this morning, the Word of God says that today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. The devil's whispering to you, did God really say today? Yes, he did. 
His word is true. Christian, the Bible also says in over there in 1 John that if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar and the truth is not in him. That's to the Christian. But it also says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's that say? Nobody has to leave this morning unforgiven with unforgiven sin in their life. The Word of God, which stands supreme over all, says, Come and be forgiven today. He's faithful and just to do it. Maybe you just want to come and say, God, I need your guidance in what to do as we choose our leaders for this next year. I don't know, whatever the Lord speaks. If you need to be saved, come be saved. If you need forgiven, come be forgiven. If you need wisdom and guidance, you come get it from God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, you come. All hearts and minds clear.